Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 3, Episode 14. When I planned this season of material, I really didn't think much about how episodes 12, 13, and 14 would fit together. I probably should have designed them as a three-part series, but I did not. Each one, though, seems to build on the ideas of the previous one, and now, here we are. Probably the final part of an accidental series. Uh, You might be disinterested to know that as a famous showrunner, I've started getting marketing from people who want to help me to do this better. Some of the marketing is interesting. I'm noodling on the idea of testing out a few different microphones and kind of revamping my studio office space. I'm looking for a little warmer tone so you feel like you're sitting across the table from me. Not too warm and I can sound intimidating. Not warm enough and I can sound canned and lose my credibility. My experience in radio is old but it still seems to serve me pretty well. So I'm thinking through a few microphone tests. That might be the subject of a bonus release uh, between seasons three and four. Summer break is coming, you know. One of the things I've been receiving is a set of offers to provide transcripts of my podcast. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but I already have those. I like to call them scripts. Yes, I script every episode of Great Ridge Station. There are a couple of reasons for this. The first is it gives me a guaranteed first draft written version of a bunch of ideas. Some of these will get turned into formal scholarship, but most of them will find their way into ebooks that I'm working on. Reason number two that I use a script. Well, if you've ever suffered from writer's block, well, then you know how it, st- how it feels to stare at a blank screen wishing that something would happen. For me, sitting at the microphone without a plan has exactly the same effect. I know that if I just start talking, I'll be able to turn a solid 15-minute episode into an hour. And while one of my listeners might appreciate that, the other one will not. A script keeps me from rambling. Mostly. And reason number three, magic like this doesn't just happen by accident. One of my wife's quotable lines is, always have a plan. I've started each season off with a plan for where this podcast is going, and I've pretty much stuck to that. That has been a good process for me, and because I have a plan, I rarely miss deadlines. Not never, just rarely. I want you to think about your plan, too. The title of this episode is Who's Holding the Baton? And that's what I want you to think about. You probably never thought of yourself as a missionary, unless, of course, you actually are a missionary, in which case this analogy will fall apart. But see, you are a missionary. If anything is going to be carried from today into the future, you're going to have to be the one to do it. So while we're in the midst of COVID-19 sequestering, I want you to think about this. Now, if you're listening to this at some point in the future, I still want you to think about it. Are there things about the pre-COVID world that you think are worth preserving? No sarcasm needed here, but really, seriously, think about this. For me, my face-to-face teaching was a big part of my pre-COVID world. The lockdown has moved that all online. See, in my setting, the graduate school at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota, we know how to do online learning well. 
In fact, we have research that shows that our online students are in line with or is slightly better than our face-to-face -face students. My desire to teach face-to-face -face is not because I think it's better, but because I think it matters. So regardless of what my professional teaching looks like, I simply have to find a way to teach in front of real, non-virtualized people. It's an odd thing for an introvert like me, but you can put me in front of a group from five to 5,000 people, and I'm at home. See, for me, that's something I want to encourage and support once things get back to some sort of normal. I have to recognize that, well, depending on how things go, it may or may not happen. But who knows, I may have to reinvent the Chautauqua to get a chance to face a crowd again. See, that's what I mean about me being a missionary. When I was a young boy, my grandmother had a little glass paperweight that had a thousand little flowers in it. It was a thing of beauty, crystal clear glass with bright, opaque glass flowers embedded in it. I've learned since then that it was called Millefiore, Thousand Flowers. They were made by master glassblowers, almost as practice pieces, to keep their skills sharp. So here's the thing, that technology was lost. There was no one coming up who wanted to learn that skill, and it died with the masters who last use it. Now I suppose it was a bit like scales in music, essential work if you want to gain mastery, but a bit tedious. Now I'm sure that there are glassmakers today who are trying to revive that art, but it's sad to me that the original craft was lost from about the 1960s on. People talk about passing the baton. Here's where that matters. In your life, in your work, in your role as a leader, where's the baton? What's the thing that you ought to be passing along to others? Is it a skill, a mindset, a set of values, a doctrinal approach? See, if you don't share it, how do you think it's going to outlive you? My grandfather, the railroad man, had an interesting hobby in his retirement years. He had started out as a printer's devil in a small-town daily newspaper. If you don't know what a, a printer's devil is, Wikipedia will tell you. He'd started out in a print shop before his railroad career, and he opened a small letterpress in his retirement. He made a lot of stationery for people, personalized letterhead and envelopes, business cards, note cards. To this day, I still love the feel of onion skin paper, but it's really rare these days. I still have some stationery that my grandfather made for me long before my life was settled. Wrong address, but I still hold on to it. See, he tried to teach me the skills, and I did pretty well. There were things I had to learn the hard way. I made pie once. Making pie, by the way, is spilling a tray of set type, so it had to be either sorted or reset. One day, I wanted to print some letterhead, and I frequently stopped by his place for a visit, and he was happy to, happy to have me do this. He said, y you know how to do it, so I sent to work. When I was done, I had three beautiful lines of type in two font sizes. And as we got ready to move it to the chase, that's the gizmo that actually holds the type in the press, he started to laugh. Not in a bad way, but definitely a laugh. My whole project was set backwards, so every character was set perfectly, as long as you read from right to left. Yeah, we, we don't. So then came the job of sorting out the type so that it could be set properly. 
You see, I never really got the joy he found in printing. I could still do it, but I didn't love it. Not like he did. I still know about furniture, quans, timpans, and ink brayers, but I never really caught the bug. It was a lot of work, it was slow, and the payoff to me seemed small. It was never a money-making venture, that wasn't the point, and digital printing has made it even less so. You know, I would, though, like a stack of that nice onion skin paper. That I miss. You see, my grandfather was one of the driving influences in my life. He passed on a lot of things to me, including my ongoing love for fountain pens, a tough, hard-fought faith. It was not easy for him to become a Christian, and I appreciated his honesty when he realized that God had cornered him. He passed a lot of important things on to me, but he did not pass along his love of printing. I may not have been the most willing student, I may not have seen what he saw in it, but most of all, I didn't care enough about it to carry it on. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. This isn't about, oh, I wish I woulda. This is about what gets passed along and what does not. So let me ask you this. Who's got the baton? What needs to be passed along? Are, are you a mentor yet? Yeah, that's the hard question. It's not easy. It's especially not easy because we think we have to know it all to be able to be a mentor. I'm happy to be a mentor for someone who's eager to learn and grow, and my wife calls it my coffee shop ministry. But with me, mentorship is a two-way street. If I'm going to invest in someone, I'm going to expect that they're willing to invest in me. For a few years now, I've been at the point where I think I might actually have something to offer. But at the same time, I'm painfully aware of my weaknesses and some of my stupidities. I'm sure there's still more that I'm not aware of. So let me learn from you, too. See, I have a couple of people that I meet with, and I appreciate their enthusiasm, their attitude, and their willingness to jump right in to make a difference. And you know what? I need that. I was just reading an article from David Brooks, and he made the observation that most people at 30 are more boring than they were at 20. Well, let me tell you, with my ever-increasing geezer factor, I think it gets continually worse unless we do something about it. Now, I'm aware of my bias on this, but I happen to think I'm way more interesting now than I was years ago, probably because, well, I like people more, and I'm more amazed by life than I was back then. Huh. Compassion, apparently, has made me more interesting. It's even made me more interesting to me. <laughs> See, when you think about where is the baton, keep that in mind. And there's not just one baton. Yeah, you have one, and you should be trying to pass that along to someone else. But they also have a baton, and they need to pass that one on. So those old Millefiore glassmakers may be at fault for not passing on their craft, but part of the blame goes to the people who could have picked up that baton, but didn't. What we have here is that whether it's glass blowing or letterpress printing, unless the love goes with the baton, it will get dropped. I don't fault my grandfather for that. Like I said, I think he, that I may have been the problem. But he was never able to pass on his love for printing to me. He helped me to love a lot of things, but that wasn't one of them. See, there are two pieces of this. First, you need to look around for batons that you want to grab. What are the things that you want to learn? What are the things that you want to care about? 
You need a mentor who will pass those things on to you and help you to kindle a joy in doing them. And what do you do? I discovered this years ago. Most people don't think their skills, talents, or abilities are that big of a deal. No matter what it is, the things you are best at are usually the things that are easy for you. And they're exactly the sorts of things that other people would either hate or fail at miserably. So whatever your gift or talent is, maybe you don't think you're all that good at it. Maybe you'd be a little embarrassed for anyone to know how little you know. Maybe. But maybe you've forgotten that the value of knowledge increases the more it is shared. A scarcity model here does not apply. See, it's a well-known phenomenon that we learn when we teach first because we seek out the information we need to teach accurately, but also because the learners add some intangible spark to the process. They learn from you, and in that process, you learn from them. You gain something from their insights and their questions. You know, I have a future episode plan that will address the power of a well-asked question, so I don't want to go too far down that path. But ask yourself this, what in your life needs to be passed on to someone else? Maybe it's a tangible skill, maybe it's a value, a commitment, a principle that might otherwise be lost. It might be big, it might be small, it might seem insignificant to you, but remember this, you are the missionary to the future. You have to take what needs to be there. So let me give you an example. My dad was an environmentalist before there was even such a thing. Any kind of littering in our family was strictly forbidden at a time when no one was thinking about that. The only exception, by the way, apple cores, because as Dad said, they would feed birds, they'd break down, and maybe start a new tree. See, we were not allowed to waste things or use things irresponsibly. uh, Plastics were discouraged, wood and metal were preferred. He explained this with a comment similar to this. He said, God gave us one creation, and it's our job to take care of it. Like I said, he developed that ethos far ahead of anyone else talking about the environment. It was something that grew out of his faith as a Christian, and he taught me that kind of thinking from early on. Because of my dad's influence, I never have to stop and think about environmental responsibility. It's deeply ingrained in me. But as I said earlier, mentorship is a two-way street. It's not just what do you have to teach someone else. It's what do you need to learn? What would you like to carry into the world of tomorrow? So grab onto some courage and start looking for a mentor who can help you. Help take that next step. Help you learn a new skill. Help you find the courage to do what you probably know you ought to do anyway. And whether you're teaching or learning, mentor or mentee, kindle the love in what you do. Know why it matters and help other people connect with that passion too. And keep sharing until you find someone who has that spark. Keep looking for a mentor until someone passes that spark along to you. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.